For Sherpa throughout the Khumbu region of Nepal, the dangers of guiding climbers to the world's highest peaks like Mount Everest, with the ever-present possibility of accidents, avalanches, and the extremes of weather and altitude, became no more evident than last month when a Serac fall took the lives of three Sherpa in the Khumbu Icefall on Mount Everest. About one-third of the more than 300 deaths on Mount Everest over the past hundred years have been of Sherpa guides. Greetings, coincidentally, only a couple of days ago, and after I recorded today's interview with David Morton of the Juniper Fund, which is a nonprofit that assists families of Sherpa who have lost their lives in the mountains, the New York Times did a feature article about Sherpas leaving the career that made them prominent and famous around the world. So what happens when a Sherpa dies on a mountain climbing expedition? In 2014, after the tragic avalanche there that claimed the lives of 16 Sherpa and high-altitude porters, massive strikes in base camp and beyond forced the hand of the government to increase the life insurance on the death there of a Sherpa to $15,000. However, the strength of the Nepal rupee has significantly diminished since then, so the money, that $15,000 in Nepal rupees, is actually worth a lot less than it was in 2014. Many times these mostly men who die in the mountains are the sole or primary breadwinner for their families and the survivors have precious few resources to fall back on. In 2014, I visited several families while filming a documentary on Mount Everest that obviously took a significant and drastic turn after the avalanche. It was a deeply and profoundly moving experience for me and my friends who were taking part in the expedition who did that ultimate second trip back up into the Khumbu Valley to visit these families. A year before that, two longtime friends and Himalayan guides, David Morton and Melissa Arnott-Reed, started a nonprofit organization called the Juniper Fund to help two families of men that they knew who lost their lives during expeditions that they were taking part in. Then the 2014 disaster happened, and in 2015, a massive earthquake triggered an avalanche on Mount Everest that killed 19. More than half of them were Sherpa and high-altitude porters. Suddenly, the Juniper Fund was receiving large donations from significant organizations such as the American Alpine Club who wanted to help. Today, I have with me David Morton. He's here to talk about the Juniper Fund, its beginnings, and the important work that they're doing in Nepal to help the families of Sherpa and mountain porters who have lost their lives guiding and working in the mountains. David Morton is a freelance climbing and expedition guide, photographer, cameraman, filmmaker, public speaker, a man of many hats, nonprofit founder, and an executive. He's been guiding professionally for over 20 years throughout the world with a focus on the Himalaya, and he's successfully guided clients to all of the world's seven summits on multiple occasions. He's filmed, photographed, and worked on commercial marketing videos to Hollywood productions to many 8,000-meter peak expeditions. 
The last time I caught up with David in person was in Tibet in 2019, where we were both there on separate expeditions to look for the body of Andrew Irvin, the Everest pioneer who disappeared with George Mallory in 1924. David was with Discovery. I was working for National Geographic, but it was all one big family, and we just had some secrets between us. But it was really awesome having him there on the mountain at the same time that we were. So the Juniper Fund equally enraptured by the people of the world as by the mountains of the world that he has worked and guided in. The Juniper Fund is a nonprofit 501c3 organization, supports local expedition workers in Nepal. He acts as the executive director, and as he has said personally, he spends many early mornings working on its programs and fundraising. David is also a husband and the father of a son. Long time no see. Always good seeing you. Hopefully not putting you on the spot. Was there an event or a, an accident or a tragedy that might have happened that made you go, gosh, I we need to do something here? These Because, you know, a lot of the people, the Sherpa or the high altitude porters, and, and now hopefully this, the tide is changing a little bit. But when a when a young man dies... The, that young man is very often the main breadwinner for a wife and maybe a child and a and parents in who had for generations leading up to that maybe made their income by farming and that's a not an easy way to make a living up there so was there something that happened or was it a, a long trek in and having a conversation with someone saying hey let's get together and pool resources or it was, you know, so it was really the combination. It was the combination of experiences between Melissa Arnott Reed and I, who's the co-founder. Um, you know, she and I both had work through Eddie Bauer, and we were on the same guide athletes team. We ended up doing a lot of climbing together. I had experience in 2006 that um, where a woman who I had spent a bunch of treks and expeditions with, with her working as um, one of the women in the kitchen, she was pregnant in the 2006 season while I was guiding on Everest. And while she was pregnant, um, her husband died in the ice fall in 2006. Wow. And Black Parita and I were the were in the ice fall at the time and responded and went to see if there was anything could be done. And he was, he was buried and he was killed. And so she was pregnant with their, that child. And so that was, that was the first sort of profound impact and that, that really rang close to home. And so my wife and I had talked about trying to support that child. Um, and then Melissa had a similar experience in 2010 with Chuang Nima and Barunse who Chuang and I had worked together a number of years on Everest together. And then Melissa um, also had been with him previous. And then they were on that expedition together. He passed away on that trip. And so through those, both of those experiences came the, the idea that, well, and Melissa, and, and Melissa specifically had said that she was going to help support that family if she was able to. And um, the thought was, well, if we could register as a, 501c3 and help this great network network of clients that we both have help to support those particular families, then then we should try to do that. And so that's how it kind of started, but it was, um, it changed profoundly. We thought it was just going to be a kind of a very small org that we could run on our own and just be able to raise some extra money to be able to help those families. But right at the time that we became finally 
we were given tax exempt status right at the end of 2013 through the IRS. And then the 2014 accident happened on Everest. And due to that and the subsequent earthquake the following year, all of a sudden the organization had a huge influx of money and we realized we had to get, you know, serious about it. Hmm. And so that's taken a long time. And I'm, you know, I'm super proud to say that we are in an incredibly good spot and um, have very long term relationships with all of these families that are part of our programs and, you know, keep up with them. And I can give you a lot of that info, but it's, um, we, you know, we're really, we've, we've really got a good infrastructure, you know, are effective at doing what we're doing. And, and that that's proven by a lot of people looking to us to help um, responsibly distribute funds and try to understand the whole environment and the situation and everything that we've learned over the years to support in a effective and best practices way. Tell me how it works with you because you just said you started, you have long-term re- relationships with these families. And um, so you're taking care of them and getting them what they need to kind of make their way through a year. Is that correct? And could you kind of explain that a little bit? I'll try to encapsulate what we do as a big picture really quickly. They, so we, the the primary, the foundational program that we started was to be able to provide um, what essentially was an ability to pay the bills for five years after an accident happens. And so we call that our cost of living grants. And so every person that is killed working on an expedition um, as a high altitude worker receives that grant period. And those are discretionary funds. And, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of research in terms of the charity and nonprofit world about, you know, how you best help folks. And part of what we do and is that these are totally, you know, discretionary funds. So they receive fifteen thousand dollars over those five years. And actually, that's it's more now. I can't remember our exact number, but we we are adjusting that in terms of inflation as it goes along. But it was found it was founded with those numbers. And so they receive, which was equivalent at the time to the accidental death insurance that they would receive from the government as part of the insurance. So essentially 15, so let's say um, 2017, you'd get $15,000 from the government, um, well, from the insurance policy, and then you would get 15000 from us, and that would be paid out $3,000 a year for each five years. So that's the that was the foundational program that still occurs, that still goes on, and then we do all sorts of other things now as well. We um, During those five years, we have a program where our Nepal, we have one woman who runs our programs in Nepal, and we also have an executive director here in the U.S., woman named Christine Haas. And so she really, and then she, Melissa, and I have weekly leadership meetings where we discuss certain things. So the three of us sort of run a lot of what's happening. Christine really is is the one that um, gets it all done day to day. So we also, during those five years, Christine and Searing, the woman in Nepal, they work with the families over those five years and say, you know, prepare them for that fifth year where, you know, you're no longer going to have this grant that we're giving you. We do a lot of vocational training with them. We do business grants um, to help widows start businesses. We've got a bunch of pretty super successful businesses from chicken farms to um, restaurants in Kathmandu to liquor shops, um, a variety of things, so that they are able to make you know, their own income after those five years and have something to do and feel sort of empowered through that. Mm -hmm. Um, We also provide a lot of that also towards offspring 
or other immediate relatives. And so at the moment, after this accident this season, we have 61 families. And through those 61 families, it's hundreds of people that are benefiting from those programs. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, one-off grants as well. We have a few mothers who had no other children and their son who was supporting them died in an accident. And so some of those women who are well beyond any years to earn income, we continue to provide support for paying the bills. And so, but, but the real big, I think that the, the thing that's been profound for me to understand is that when we visit these families each year, you know, we, it's become such a sort of long-term connection to know what's going on and know who needs what. And they come to us with, is there an ability for, you know, my son's wanting to go study overseas? Can you provide any help with that? And so it's sort of a, the five-year thing ends, but then there's a long-term connection with trying to support them in ways that are going to help their family, help the woman produce more income. I want to thank you, David, for being a part of this video. It means a lot that you would take time out of your day to be here with me to speak about the Juniper Fund. If you, the viewer or listener, would like to find out more about them, you can find their website at thejuniperfund.org. I will also put links to their Instagram and social media pages in the show notes to this video or into the podcast if you're listening on the happiness quotient. If you have enjoyed this video, I hope you'll take a moment to subscribe. But most importantly, I'd love to hear your comments and tell us where you're listening or watching from today. In a short moment, I'm going to show you a video over my shoulder that I think that you are going to want to watch. And to you, the viewer and listener, I am deeply honored that you would take time out of your day to listen and to watch. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Have a blessed day. Peace out, my friends.